Let's continue to worship with the reading from John chapter 4, verses 5 through 29. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman said, the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What, have, what, have, what you have said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is this place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was walking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you walking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? This is the word of the Lord. What's up, y'all? How we doing? Uh, if I don't know you, welcome. My name's Chris. I'm the pastor here at Riverstone. Glad you're with us. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open them to John 4. <clears throat> but before we get cranked, I have a pretty big announcement, exciting for me. Uh, it's for me, maybe not big for you, it's big for me. Uh, we're trying to position ourselves as a church to impact this community in profound ways. And for the past year, I've been the only person on staff here at this church. And this past summer, I've met a vineyard pastor 
He came and visited our church and I saw him at the national conference. That was a cool guy, whatever. A couple months later, my area leader texted me and she's like, I got this guy. You should meet him, man. He, I really think you guys would connect. And lo and behold, it's this guy that I've met and it's come to our church. Come on up, Clinton Amy. Uh, so him and his wife felt the Lord leading them uh, to relocate to this town of all places uh, because of this church. <laughs> Uh, they moved here because they think God's doing something in this place. Uh, and they have amazing experience in ministry. And Clint has agreed to come on as a part-time staff associate pastor at this church. Okay. Um, and he wore, he wore his Christian t-shirt to prove that he's a Christian. So we're good. We're good. Um, they have... Uh, a lot of experience, a lot of amazing experience in ministry, and we're basically paying them peanuts. So love on them, welcome them uh, because of their servant heart. Clint has to get another job to be able to serve this church, y'all. <laughs> so um, welcome them with me. You're going to see more of them around uh, helping us become more effective um, in this fight. So I'm excited about that. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Next time, we'll have them tell a joke. Yeah, okay. Uh, more on that to come. We have more exciting announcements. I'm honestly very excited about this year, y'all, about what God is doing here. Um, and I'll just use this as an invitation as well to invite you tonight to come pray with me at 6 o'clock. If you're just in a season of life where you just say, I need more of God, I think some of us might be there. And I think most Christians would say, I believe in the power of prayer. Uh, their lives just don't back it up. And so we're just trying to like back up what we say we believe and gather together and pray with one another for this church and this community tonight at six o'clock. Come join me. You won't regret it. Okay, John 4. Um, it's the like half of the book of John that Gary read, so I'm not going to reread it, um, but if you have your Bibles, you can open up to it. Uh, what Gary read was the account of the Samaritan woman at the well where Jesus engages, engages this uh, sinful woman. Uh, the whole encounter is ripe with meaning and significance, and we can't touch it all, uh, but it ends with this woman, this sinful woman, going back to town and saying this, come and see. Come see a man. Come and see. That's, that's how this passage ends. This woman goes back into town, and she tells her, makes some noise in her community, and she says, come and see. Come and see. Come and see has been the cry of the church since day one. This section ends with a woman going into town and saying it. The first Christian sermon given by Peter at Pentecost. Uh, the, this lady, at the end of her little, uh, the end of this passage, she has the question: Could this be the Christ? The end of the sermon that Peter gives at Pentecost ends with saying, "I'm telling you, this is the Christ." Uh, from day one, the Christian church, the cry of the Christian church has been, come and see. Even before the New Testament, y'all, God's heart has always been that his people be invitational people crying out to anyone who would listen, come and see. Psalm 66, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of men. So let's just think about it together. If come and see is a fundamental cry of Christianity, of, of what it means to be the people of God. What can that mean? And what are the implications? And if this is right, what, what, what come and see what exactly? What does it mean if for me and you, if you call yourself a Christian, if this is the essential cry of the church, come and see? Let's think about it together. Number one, if we are to be biblical Christians, which is always optional, Right? A lot of Christians make up their own thing. Many people do. But if we're going to be biblical Christians, 
if we're not just going to follow the cultural, religious, convenient norms and rather follow the God of the Bible, come and see means that the Christian life, the entire Christian life, will be marked by joyful invitation. How would you describe your life? As contagious appeal? As calling people in? as magnetic charisma. Think about it. When you invite someone to something, to anything, when you invite someone to anything, what are you doing? You're opening doors. Here, is the door closed? Let me open that for you. Come, see, observe. Over and over and over again. It means that we are people who open doors for others. In the, in the most simple and basic way that we are people that open doors, it means, if this is the cry of the church, it means setting a table big enough for the dirty and the lame and the sinners to have a place at the table. That's invitation. That's radical hospitality. And it's what you're called to if you're a Christian. Some people are amazing at this, and some of us are miserable at it. Horrible, horrible at hospitality, right? But this story alone is a remarkably scandalous account as to who it is including, as to who it is inviting. First of all, Jesus is talking to a woman. We think, who cares? Well, in the first century, Jewish men did not talk to women in public. Did you notice how the disciples felt about it? 427, it says they marveled that he was talking to a woman. This was improper in its day, much less a Samaritan. Everyone, you guys know Samaritans, right? You guys ever met a Samaritan? Oh, my gosh, right? Ugh. Religiously compromised. They're half-breeds. They're con- they, dude, Samaritans were condemned by all the cool kids, all right? Everyone knew you weren't supposed to like Samaritans. Anyone who thought rightly about God knew they are out. They're out. This is why any Orthodox Jew, all the guys with the best theology, you know the best theology, like the guys that write books, you know? They, they wrote books about, hey, listen, Samaritans, half-breeds, theologically compromised, don't have dinner with Samaritans, right? They were idolatrous, compromised people of low theology. It's why Jesus' parable of the good Samaritan is an oxymoron in its day. Samaritans are not good, Jesus. Wake up. They're people of low morals, low theology. It's why Jesus, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I already said that. It's why the Jesus of the Good Samaritan was utterly repulsive. Which only further drove his point home. So much of Jesus' teaching, y'all, is directly challenging your notion of who is in and who is out. Hey, you listening to me right now? So much. Of, I'm, I'm just coming after today, guys. Look out. So much of Jesus' teaching is challenging your notion of who is in and who is out. You have categories. I have categories of who is in. The kind of people that you would invite to your dinner table. And then there's the kind of people that you wouldn't. Well, Jesus wants to challenge that notion. Who, friends, is worthy of your invitation to your house? You have a category. And most of them are political categories. Of who you would invite to your house. And set a table and prepare a place. Have you ever read Psalm 23? read it this morning. You know what it says about God in Psalm 23? That he sets a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Y'all, 
We are to be people whose lives are marked by invitation and not just the people we think deserve it. And Jesus is teaching over and over and over again, well, challenge your notion of who you think deserves it, right? All right, I'm going to calm down. It's all right. We'll, we'll get through this. Everyone breathe. Everyone okay? Is anyone out there? I don't know. Like, I feel like, okay, all right. If there were any people, y'all, who had been blocked out of the favor of God, who didn't deserve a seat at the table, um, it was the Samaritans, y'all. And the character of this woman only compounds it. She's sleeping around. She's hopping from man to man. There's no stability in this woman's life. She probably sees herself as a sex toy. And Jesus steams roll, steam rolls every obstacle. He removes all of them. You know how? By initiating. She does not initiate him. He initiates her. Jesus starts the convo. Hey, give me a drink. And she is shocked. And the scripture says it. The Samaritan woman said to him, 4-9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Y'all, it's all there in the text. I'm not making anything up. Jesus removes obstacles. It's just what he does. He removes obstacles between him and her. All the reasons others would hold up, all the reasons she herself would hold up as to why God doesn't love her, Jesus removes them all. He plows through them, removes the obstacle. Y'all, it's the same sentiment that John the Baptist gives when he comes on the scene. And he says this, make straight the way of the Lord. What does he mean? He means remove the obstacles. Knock everything down that's in between you and Jesus, right? And this is exactly what we see Jesus doing with this woman, making a way for her to come to him. We are to be, y'all, people of invitation who remove obstacles, not the people who point at all the obstacles, what kind of person are you? My mic will work at some point. I'm just going to unhook this. I'm sorry. Are you a person who points at obstacles in life? Is that all you see? Is that all there is? Or are you a kind of person who sees ways through and points other people to the way, to the solution, not the problem, right? If you love someone enough, you love someone enough to remove obstacles in their way, right? Come and see also means this, that we are the ones initiating in life. This is very hard for some Christians. Um, we aren't waiting for others to ask. We are asking. We aren't waiting for others to come to us. Jesus initiated with her. It means we are the ones who are supposed to go out. Y'all, this is the biblical model. Jesus, y'all, came to us. It's called the incarnation, right? Now he says, now you be like me, and now you go to other people. Most Christians spend their time waiting. Church is open. We're here every Sunday. Why don't they come? That was not, I'm sorry, that was inappropriate. Shouldn't have used that. You know why they don't come? Because they haven't been asked. They haven't been initiated. No one's invited them. That's not why they don't come. They got obstacles in their mind as to why God doesn't love them. Maybe you have obstacles in your mind as to why God doesn't love them and therefore why you don't invite them. It, it's remarkable how many people would just come to church if someone would just ask them, y'all. Right? As much, listen, as much as I love, like preach the gospel always, use words when necessary. Dude, as important as that is in the Bible Belt South, where people think just talking is enough to make you a Christian, right? I'm all in. Preach the gospel with how you live. Yes and amen. Like when I was in high school, like I was like, I don't want a Christian t-shirt. I just want to live the Christian life. I just want to do the thing, right? But dude, here's the thing. That whole idea of preach the gospel and use words sometimes, okay, cool, go for it. But let me just ask you a question. Seriously, when was the last time that a coworker approached you and was like, man, I just see the way you live. You're so kind and loving. I just got to know. 
What's up with you? Why do you love everyone? Why? Like, I'm just, I'm serious, y'all. When's the last time it happened? The gospel norm is not waiting to be asked. It is initiating. It, the church initiating, the people of God compelled by the love of God going out to any who would hear, come and see. Come and see. Come and taste of his goodness. Y'all, the gospel norm is the church making noise in every society that it lives in saying, come and see the goodness of God. Taste of his kindness. Drink of his love. It's better than life. Christian norm, y'all. Going out, initiating, being just as ridiculous as I am up here, saving people through the foolishness of preaching, y'all. The gospel norm is the church making noise. Not passive, active, not responding, but initiating. When is the last time you took initiative, y'all? The thing I love about this woman's invitation, this is the thing I love, I love, I love about this woman's invitation, is that it's an invitation to simply explore. Did you read it? Listen, her evangelistic campaign was not the Evangicube, God bless it. Anyone? No, okay, no one knows that. You should look it up, it's hilarious. It was her evangelistic, it's not hilarious, whatever, I don't know. Her evangelistic campaign wasn't the Roman road. Nothing wrong with that, it's great. Her evangelistic campaign wasn't if you die today. I do have something wrong with that. It, guess what it was? It was personal experience with Jesus. And then a question. She literally said, I ran into this dude, it was crazy. Could this be, G could this be the Christ? So many of us, y'all, think, well, I'm not evangelist. I don't know enough about Christianity. I mean, everyone has, you know, everyone's an, 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 everyone's an intellectual today, right? I don't know how to defend Christianity historically. It, I mean, so, isn't that what so many people think, why we don't initiate? Why we don't talk to people about Jesus? We say, well, I don't know enough. Dude, she, her invitation is literally a question. Could this be the answer we're looking for? She invites people not to some dogmatic, blind acceptance of a sterile, academic, intellectual, kind of like toe-the-party line of my theology. Y'all, I, I just, I'm, read, I'm reading the Bible to you. It was experience-based. If you have a problem with that, you have a problem with the Bible. Her encounter was an experience with Jesus, all right? She encountered a man full of supernatural power and, insight, power and insight who was making a remarkable claim and displaying confounding love. And her response is going back in her community, making some noise and saying, could this be the guy? Is this the guy we're all looking for? I can't, I can't explain it, but you, hey, assess his claims with me. Might he be the answer that you're searching for? The love and forgiveness and the wholeness that we all want? What if it's him? <laughs> Dude, it's all about, y'all, it's all, so, this is so beautiful to me. Frees me up so much, because you're a pastor, right? Pastors are supposed to know everything. No, I'm not. I don't know everything. But you know what I can do? I can ask the right questions. What if Jesus is the answer to your problem? What if his kindness is the thing that you're missing out on? I can ask questions like that, and this is exactly what she does. Y'all, if we would just be willing to be honest and ask the right questions, that's the kind of life we can live and bring glory to God and, and extend invitation to all who's around us. As simple as it might be, y'all, just asking someone, what do you think about him? Do you think he's the guy? Like he made some crazy claims. Who do you think he is? Have you looked at the claims of Jesus, right? This is what happens with the woman. And this, so it's this conversation that Jesus has that provokes the whole thing. Jesus asks her for water. Okay, cool, simple enough. Everyone, everyone drinks water around here? Yeah. What does water represent? Yeah, dude, totally. What is he really asking her? 
Is he just asking for what? What water is the sustaining source of every living thing on earth? Might he be asking her sister, what do you think really sustains life? Might he be saying, hey, what, where are you getting your life? Where are you getting your energy? Do you, do you have a resource that really gives life, sis? Tell me. What refreshes the soul? What gives strength? What sustains the soul? Is it sex? Is it the next romance, sister? Is that the thing? Is that the water of the universe? It was for this girl, wasn't it? Do you know the thing that gives life? And of course, we know it. this is exactly what he's getting at because of the way he answers her. Everyone who drinks of this water, he says, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. In other words, Jesus is saying to you right now, I am the source, and only I can give it. And if you will locate the source of your life on me, it is a never-ending source. There is always enough, always leftovers, always room at the table. Y'all, Jesus says, if you drink from my hand, if you drink what I have, it's never-ending abundance of soul. Jesus says, if you will drink from my hand, I will give you never-ending abundance of soul. Are you drinking? When you drink from the water that Jesus has, y'all, it ruins every other source of life. It ruins every other thing because you know why? Because you've experienced the true bread of the universe. The true water. God himself comes, man. And when we pull up a chair to the feast of God, to the table of God, to the kingdom of God, Jesus says transformation happens. He says the life I give in that person, it's living water. It transforms them so that they themselves become sources of water for others. That's what it says. What's the image he gives? A spring. Do you see it? When I give water to people, they become sources of water. Y'all, what's a spring? Have you ever seen a spring? Like, it's, it's crazy. It's this water, it's like magical water source coming up out of the ground. It's like, where is that coming from, right? Water bubbling up. I mean, it's, have you seen a spring? It's remarkable. I remember seeing in a river, I saw one one time, and it's just like this bloop, 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 bubbling up out of nowhere. Where is that coming from, right? See, Jesus says, if, God, we don't take him at his word, y'all. He says, if you'll drink the water I have, you will become a water source. See, we think God gives us a little bit of moisture, you know, just like enough to get through. We think we're coming to a rusty faucet with a drip, drip, drip. And we think, well, maybe I'll get enough to go around like he just wants to give you a misting. No, he, he wants you to become a well of water springing up. That's a massively different image than a little squeaky drip, drip, drip that most of us think God's offering us. Like just enough to, right? Not the picture. Not the picture. He says, you are going to become a well 
overflowing so that now you become a source from other. When we think there's not enough to go around, what do we do? What do you do? If there's not enough cupcakes, Gary. What do you do if there's not enough cupcakes? You clutch them to your chest. Get out of here. These are my cupcakes, right? When there's not enough to go around, you clutch it to your chest, and it's the reason some of you are clutching the, the love of God to your chest right now, because you don't think there's enough to go around. That's why you're not giving it away. If there's enough to go around, everyone can have some. There's plenty of room at the table. There's leftovers. If you don't have leftovers, what do you do? It's mine. Get away from here, right? Yeah, right? It's like when you grew up with brothers and sisters, how you eat dinner, you know, with your elbows, right? That's how some of us think about the love of God. There's just a little enough, and I wait wherever I get, I gotta clutch it to my chest. I can't give it away. And when we live like that, we can never experience the freedom of Jesus. We're, we're, all you have is your resources there. Y'all, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Here we go. Jesus is saying that he can make anyone into this, this source. It means, what does it mean? It means the whole thing's exponential. Christianity is exponential. Christianity is exponential. In other words, it's not one special person who has the special key or the pastor who knows. No. It's, and, and then the pastor has to go to everyone individually, right? And I hear you, right? No, 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 no. No, this picture is that Jesus is infecting others with himself so that they themselves become sources of water, extending the life of God to others. Y'all, this is exponential. This is what springs of water welling up. Or as one pastor put it, it's like when that scene in every zombie or pandemic movie where the president's in a room and the scientists are in a room and they're like, okay, it started here. Here we go. And then it spread it to here. And then it's become a contagion and all those people is going to be all over the West Coast by 2,400 hours. And by 1,400 hours, it's going to be, have you guys seen that movie? Isn't that a cool graphic? I found that. <laughs> and it'll be all over the world and then we're all going to be dying, right? It was a contagion. It was contagious. And people then spread it to others, right? And they were, and this is, this is why Christianity spread throughout the earth, y'all. This contagious type action. They were going others. It wasn't some pathetic. The reason Christianity spread so much over the earth wasn't some pathetic, well, Jesus might enhance your life pitch. It's not what it was. It was he is the key of being truly human, Jesus. And he is the only source of true life. And no one, nothing else, no one else comes anywhere close to it. Come and partake of that which sustains you and gives you life like nothing else can. This is what happens when we drink the wine of his love for us. Song of Solomon, for your love is sweeter than wine. And when we drink it, y'all, when we let his love in, despite our own mental obstacles, as is why he can't love us, when we believe his word over and above our sins and our shame, we become vessels of his love to other people. It's the biblical model. It's just how it works. God intends to use you, friend, to spread his love. And until we drink ourselves, y'all, all you have is moral striving. Until you drink of the love of God for yourself, all you have is more rules. And you have not been saved to rules. You have been saved to his love. You have to drink, you. you guys, guys, hey, hey, you have to drink. You have to drink it. You gotta pull it up to your lips and take it into yourself. No one's going to do it for you. Not your parents, not your pastor, not your friends. You have to pull the cup up to your mouth and you have to drink in the love of God yourself. He will not force his love on you. You have to receive it by faith. You can come to church your whole life and never drink it. You can preach sermons. You can lead worship. You can lead small groups. You can pray for people and never drink it, y'all. You can memorize scripture. You can teach Bible classes at the highest levels of education and never drink of his love for you. 
But number two, what's more, y'all, until you drink of his love for you, you won't be spreading him. You'll be spreading your version of Christianity. Until you drink of the love of God, you will not be spreading the love of God. You won't, be, you won't be spreading him. You'll be spreading your version of Christianity. This is huge in the Bible about Christians. Clearly not about inviting people into the love of God. They want to invite people into their brand of theology. Happens all the time, right? This is, like, this is why people convert to Anglicanism or convert to Catholicism or whatever. Catholicism, there it is. Um, guys, we use, we use that language, don't we? Do we not? Do we not? Do we not use conversion language when jumping denominations, right? Christians, so often, y'all, Christians are more about their towing the theological line of their party. They want to fight over theology. They don't want to call others in to drink the love of God because they really, really believe deep in their hearts, you can't freely drink. It's, you can't just freely drink the love of God. You've got to prove that you're worthy of the love of God. And how do you prove it? Tow the party line. Think the way we think about you need to subscribe to my brand of theology. You need to convert to my denomination. Read my authors. You need to become a Calvinist, right? Or this, right? People who haven't drunk in the love of God cannot spread the love of God because they don't have it. You got to drink it. So when we don't drink in the love of God, when we don't take it into ourselves despite all of our sins and shortcomings, we begin majoring on the minors. And we make mountains out of molehills. And you know what we become like when we begin, when we refuse to drink the love of God in ourselves? We become the people that Jesus was addressing in Matthew 23 when he says, What sorrows await you, experts of the law and Pharisees, hypocrites? For, look, it's on, it should have come up here. For you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves and you don't let others enter either. This is exactly the opposite of invitation, isn't it? This is shutting. Jesus says you shut the door in people's faces. And who is he talking to? Me. Religious experts, pastors, the people who know God. And it is the exact opposite of what we see him doing. He, he's saying, you guys are closing the door on people. You're not opening the door to people. Y'all, and it happens every day. Outsiders, hurt, alone, in sin, come into church and cry out, is there any hope for me? Is there any love, any forgiveness? We would see Jesus. And we say, well, what's your stance on free will? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. See, that's what happens when we stop drinking the love of God. I saw this ridiculous Babylon Bee thing this week. Unbeliever converted to Christianity after seeing Christians bicker with one another online. <laughs> can I just real quick, I'm sorry, I know I'm dicey today. Um, can I, real quick, I know it makes you feel so good to put down other Christians online. I know it does. But could you just take a break from doing it on the World Wide Web? Seriously, please. I'll like, have them over for dinner and punch them in the face proper, right? <laughs> like, seriously. Or, or I'll say it this way. I'll say it this way. I'll say it, hold on, hold on, I know, I know. I'll say it this way. Disgrace yourself in private. 
Stop posting it online. You're not doing anyone any favors. Everyone thinks you're smart, okay? Stop. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Does your version of Christianity invite people in, or are you shutting the door in people's faces because you yourself have missed the point of what it's all about? Y'all, because it's only the love of Jesus that creates the contagion, not law, not rules. And if we don't drink it in for ourselves, all we have is rules and law, right? And this is exactly, uh, you know, it's funny. This is exactly what she does. Jesus is offering free living water. And what does she do? She wants to debate theology. You guys catch it? She's like, well, my father's worship on this mountain. This is in Jerusalem, but you guys say this, right? And this is actually a very deep, revealing truth. Why, why do you think she brings up this, like, deeply entrenched theological argument? Why do you think she brings that up? Why don't you think we drink? What's our obstacles? Uh, what's very fascinating to me, uh, I think she's deflecting, right? What's very fascinating to me, the only, one of the only other times that um, come and see is in the New Testament is when Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus. And he says, where have you laid him? And they say to Jesus, come and see. Uh, stay with me. Uh, this is very telling. Uh, they are saying to God, come and see what? The place of death. They're, they're inviting God into the place that stinks like death. The dead places. You know why we don't drink? It's a double-edged sword. It's not just living water. Who wouldn't want living water? Because this is why we don't drink. Because at the same time, Jesus is offering eternally satisfying water that fills you up and you become a, a wellspring, right? At the same time he's doing that, he can't do that without addressing our deepest area of shame and failure and death at the same time. He does both. He says, I'm going to give you a never-ending source of life, but first I have to deal with a thing that you think brings life. Go call your husband. You see? This woman uh, didn't just have an adulterous relationship with a man. She had an idolatrous relationship with men. You see? Why on earth would you go through six men? Because she was desperately convinced, if I could just find the right man, my life will be complete, and had left a wake of emotional and relational carnage. One of the reasons we don't drink his love is because it forces us to admit that we've been drawing from empty wells, places that smell like death, that have no water. It reveals that we've failed to find the true source of life and have settled for short-sighted, selfish, sinful sources that don't bring life and all and actually smell of death. But secondly, y'all, uh, we don't drink of his love because it immediately removes, if we were to drink of his love, it immediately removes any ego or pride that we might have. It removes any chance of us looking down our nose from our high moral ground. We don't drink because secretly, deep in our hearts, we still want the credit for establishing and sustaining our own life. We don't want to acknowledge the dead places. Because look at what she goes in town and says. She does not just say, come and see. She says, come and see the man. Sorry, Ooh, fix that. She says, come and see the man who told me all I ever did. All I have ever done and all you have ever done, if we are honest, is a source of deep regret and shame. Right? 
in the dark night of the soul, in desperation and anxiety, all of us have done things that we don't want anyone to know about. What on earth could change someone so that the source of shame now becomes a source of glory? What on earth could do that in a person? Something that they had spent their entire life hiding, now freely sharing, making noise about in the community. Yo, there's only one thing, y'all. It's not your moral effort. It's not your nobility or goodness. It's only the love of God. Only the gospel turns our sins into opportunities for God's love to be glorified in the earth because at the same time we receive it, we are admitting we don't deserve it. You see? And if we aren't willing to acknowledge our sins, then we still want the credit, right? And the attraction of the gospel, y'all, the thing that we're saying, come and see, is not us. It's not ourselves, but it's Christ crucified in our place. And only when we drink in the love of God are we free enough, secure enough, to be open with our own failures and sins. So some of us are here today carrying shame and regrets and failure because we're not convinced God's love is strong enough to cover it. Some of us today are hiding things in our life because we're not convinced that God has a well of love that he's willing to just wash away all of our shame and regret. We think the love of God is a little faucet dripping here and here and here. And some of us are holding things to our chest, sin, shame, regrets that God is offering to take from you right now. That's why we read the Jeremiah passage at the beginning. It talks about us spending our whole life digging out wells that are dry that can't give life. And some of us are doing everything we can do, digging at this well to give us life. And God right now is saying, it's a dry well, son. You're not going to find life in sex. You're not going to find life in more money. Jesus says, I and I alone am the true source of life. And until we will drink from the water that he has, we are doomed to drink dirt for the rest of our life. Because he is the only true source of life that sustains the soul. So this is the part of our service where we...